Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. All right, so uh, what we were covering last week, and I need to move, uh, I really wanted to finish last week, but I need to finish it tonight, plus the sheet that uh, uh, we've got uh, tonight. All right, so uh, I think most of you brought your sheet along from last week. So our whole theme last week was building character uh, in order to handle charisma. And so we worked through the thing, uh, God's original man, God's fourfold purpose for man. Then we see how sin entered the human race and, and uh, man became fallen man and the image of God was marred in man. Sin marred the character of God that was in man. And then we looked at, uh, let us see, definitions between character. Character, basically what you are, what I am on the inside. Character, what I do. Uh, in other words, fruit of the Spirit, gifts of the Spirit. And then under letter D, uh, we went through understanding distinctions between fruit and gifts. Uh, fruit has to do with character and gifts have to do with career. Charisma, uh, particularly in that uh, Matthew chapter 7. How many felt that the, the, uh, my understanding of Matthew 7 really helped you on that area? You know, on uh, what do you do in that day when many will say, Lord, Lord, have we not uh, done many wonderful works in your name and so forth and operate the gifts of the Spirit? And then we just mentioned, and I try to be very careful on this, on some tragic uh, case histories. And uh, we went home after the service last uh, week and just was watching the news on... Um, Sky News, whatever, and uh, I, I don't know how many of you see it, but it's just, it's just such a grief and so disgusting to see the bishop that was ordained, uh, you know, and laughing about that. He's won the case, and I just got an email from New Zealand this week on the Presbyterian and the, and the, and the Methodists and the Anglican uh, all going this way. And look, you know, I, I try to be careful here, but I'm too old to worry about it, so, you know... <laughs> <laughs> but, but I would not like to be in a church where my senior minister was living in a, a sinful lifestyle, would you? And, and supposedly talking from the Bible, you know, it's such a, yeah. So they're the people we're talking about, unless they come. Now, someone asked me that after the meeting last night, just say this quickly here. Well, uh, whether somebody had asked the question, well, aren't uh, uh, gay people, homosexual people welcome in Waverley? Anybody's welcome in here. But you see, we need to keep our theology straight because remember I said one other time that God loves the sinner and he hates the sin. So God, lo- God loves the homosexual. He doesn't like what he does. He likes him, but he doesn't like what he does. But that is not complete truth. How many remember that? The full truth is this. God loves the sinner. He hates the sin, and unless the sinner repents of his sin, he's going to a crisis eternity. So God loves the homosexual. He doesn't like what he's doing, but unless he comes to repentance, then he goes to a lost eternity. So we need to keep our theology right, because there's such a, 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 a reverse mentality in thinking today. And so that's what we're going to. We, as I said, we want to be biblically correct, uh, not, uh, not politically correct necessarily. And so the world is just a laughing stock in the world where the world has been pressing, uh, pressing that any minister that has mentioned these things from the platform, uh, they will land in prison because of discrimination. If I do land in prison, please visit me. And I like Lamington still. <laughs> Okay, I said that once and I, I looked like a lemming tonight, about 60, <laughs> given to me that week. Anyway, so, uh, so we need to keep our theology straight. That's what I'm talking about. So God loves the sinner. He hates the sin. And, and God loves us as we are. Sometimes we hear that. But let's finish the sentence. God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. That's sound theology. Right, that's what we're talking about. All right, so uh, we dealt with some tragic case histories there. And uh, just in USA, Australia, New Zealand, things that uh, I've had to deal with. And as I said, uh, some of the things I struggled with for uh, months after I'd uh, seen that and just said, Lord, I just want to realize without wholeness, no man will see the Lord. And then we finished up on uh, a little bit on the difference between character and reputation. So I want to pick up from there. And I like, uh, we're going to go down to F. And then I want to spend a few moments on number G and then we'll go over to our new sheet and uh, we'll, we'll trust to finish tonight because uh, I want to deal with another very important lesson in my life uh, next week on a different, a different angle. All right, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. 
And uh, just because uh, of, of how fast time goes here, I'm going to read it from the uh, Amplified. I just draw to your attention just one thing. And under letter F on your notes from last week, we've got Christ the image, image and character of God. Okay, now this is where we pick it up. So you just follow along in whatever translation you've got. I'm going to read it from Amplified here. Um, okay, so Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, and then I'll draw your attention to the point I want you to pick up here. So Amplified puts it this way. In, in many separate revelations, each of which set forth a portion of the truth, and in different ways, God spoke of all to our forefathers in and by the prophets. But in the last of these days, he's spoken to us in the person of his son, whom he appointed heir and lawful owner of all things, also by and through whom he created the worlds and the reaches of space and the ages of time. That is, he made, produced, built, operated and arranged them in order. He is the sole expression of the glory of God, the light being the outraying of the divine, and he is the perfect imprint and very image of God's nature, upholding and maintaining and guiding and propelling the universe by his mighty word of power when he had by offering himself accomplished our cleansing of sins and riddance of guilt he sat down at the right hand of the divine majesty on high wow what majestic uh, language now what I want you to pick up here the word character uh, in this uh, in your translation regardless of what translation you've got you'll find that the word image the express image how many have got that in your bible that Jesus Christ is the express image of God how many have got that in your translation, the Greek word for express image is the, Greek, uh, is the Latin word character. So it's spelled C-H-A, uh, let's see if I got here, character, got here. In, in, in the Greek it's spelled, yes, C-H-A-R-A-K-T-E-R. So where it says Jesus Christ is the express image of God, it's what's saying, he is the character of God. So if I want to know what God's like, look at Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus could say, look, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You say, show us the Father, what's the Father like? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, he's not saying he is the Father, just to keep our theology sound here, but uh, it's like Father, like Son. So if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what the character of God is, look at Jesus Christ. So that's what we're talking about. And in Vine's Expository Dictionary, have you got this on your notes? No, I uh, don't think so. I'll read it off mine. Uh, Vine's Dictionary says express image in Hebrews 1.3 uh, equals character. And it denotes firstly a tool for graving from carazo uh, to cut into to engrave. English is character or characteristic. Then he says it represents a stamp or an impress as on a coin or a seal, in which, the, in which case the seal or die which makes the impression bears the image produced by it and vice versa. All the features of the image respectively were those of the image producing it. So he goes on to say, the Son of God is distinct from the Father God, yet he also is the exact image an impress of the Father's substance or essence, there is complete similarity. And the illustration I've, I've put on your notes, I think I have, is uh, remember when they came to Jesus and said, should we pay tax to Caesar? And he said, well, bring me a penny. And when he took the penny, he said, well, whose image or superinscription is this? And they said, Caesar. So Jesus having a word of wisdom, because he was wisdom personified, he said, render to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar, and render to God the things that belong to God. And so Jesus Christ is the express image, the character of God. So if I want to know what the character of God is, the nature and being of God is, I look at Jesus Christ. Now, why did I say all that? The thing is, in redemption, Jesus Christ came to restore us back to the image of and likeness of God from which we fell. That's worth a little baby hallelujah. Hallelujah? Okay, so he kindly restores back to the image from which we fell. Put down a couple of other scriptures there, and I, I need to move on. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4. This is under the image of God. And Paul tells us that Jesus is the express, or the, 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 uh, the image of the invisible God. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. And then Colossians 1, a couple of other scriptures here, very good. Colossians 1 and verse, uh, one, uh, I'm sorry, Colossians 1 verse 15 and 19. Colossians 1 verse 15 and 19. Colossians 2 verse 9. So I'll say that one more time. Colossians 1 verse 15 verse 19. Colossians 2 verse, and verse 9. I'm going to read them from the Amplified. You might like to put that down. So he says, he is the exact likeness 
of the unseen God, the visible representation of the invisible. He is the firstborn of all creation. And then in verse 19, For it is pleased the Father that all the divine fullness, the sum total of the divine perfection, powers and attributes should dwell in him permanently. And then chapter 2, verse 9, a magnificent verse, For in him the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of the divine nature. Just a powerful scriptures there. So uh, that's Colossians. All right. So Jesus Christ is the express image of God. He is the character of God. So when it says in uh, Romans 8, why don't you put this down? I don't think you've got it on your notes. Romans 8, verse 28 and 29. Romans 8, verse 28, 29. That when we come to Jesus Christ, what does he want to do? Whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate. What for? That we might be conformed to the image of his Son. And so God's purpose is not just to, to take us to heaven and play, you know, sit on a cloud playing a one-string guitar for all eternity. Uh, his purpose is to restore us back to the image of God, the character of God that, uh, from which we fail. So if we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the express character of God and image of God, then we're going to be like him. And that's what God wants. Let's make man in our image after our likeness. That was God's original purpose. The fall was a detour. The fall was never God's perfect will. God knew it. He permitted it. But it was never God's perfect will. So the cross is like Jacob's ladder. We begin at the foot of the ladder. And through the cross, God brings us back to his original purpose. How many are glad for that? All right. Now, I want you to go to this part here. And the question we're going to ask is... How is character built? And I want to do uh, a couple of things here. I want to take two pictures, uh, one, uh, one more fully on your news sheet tonight, but let's uh, pick up from last week. All right. Now, how is character built? I just want to make sure, yes. So under letter G from last week here, character building proposition. So I'm going to have this on the PowerPoint. Think of that. I'm actually using PowerPoint. <laughs> Boy, that's a, that's a miracle, isn't it, eh? Okay. Oh, okay, that doesn't look interesting, does it, eh? All right, so I want you to fill this in, and I'm, I'm, I could spend the whole night on this, but I don't want to, but I want to give you the seed thought here. All right, so how is character built? So let's look at it here. So this, this is a proposition. A person's philosophy, <laughs> I need my binoculars here, uh, determines a person's beliefs, okay? A person's... Uh, philosophy determines a person's beliefs, and a person's beliefs determines a person's attitudes. Now, I'm going to explain this a little bit more fully in a moment. And a person's attitudes determines a person's behavior, and a person's behavior determines a person's character, and a person's character determines their eternal destiny. So let me say that again, and then I want to sort of develop it a little more fully here. Okay, so character building, it's a proposition here. So a person's, philosoph uh, a person's philosophy determines a person's beliefs, and a person's beliefs determines a person's attitudes, and a person's attitudes determines a person's behavior, and a person's behavior determines a person's character, and character determines a person's eternal destiny. Everybody got that? Okay, so I'd like you to verbalize that with me as a proposition, then I want to sort of comment, and, uh, comment on it a little bit. So all together, a person's philosophy determines a person's beliefs. A person's beliefs determines a person's attitudes. A person's attitudes determines a person's behavior. A person's behavior determines a person's character. And a person's character determines a, purpose, a person's eternal destiny. Wow. All right, now, let's look at this. So in the, in the order of words you've got there, you've got, say, philosophy. And uh, uh, philosophy can be used in a positive way and a negative way. It simply means wisdom. And so there's a worldly wisdom. There's a divine wisdom. So I'm talking about philosophy. So wisdom, either wisdom of the world or wisdom of God. So uh, philosophy determines a person's beliefs. And then a belief determines a person's attitudes. And then attitudes determines a person's behavior. And behavior determines a person's character. And character, as we're going to see, is something we take into eternity. As the uh, proverb, oh, no, Ecclesiastes says, As a tree falls, so it lies 
as a man lives, so he dies. That's very true. So as a person, as a tree falls, so it lies. As a man lives, so he dies. So we take character into eternity. I want to talk about that now. Uh, I have with me tonight, and I've used this in illustration a couple of other places here. I have here the Communist Manifesto, communism, no, communism. Well, yeah. So how many know that the Communist Manifesto, the philosophy, changed the destiny of nations? You see, because your philosophy determines your beliefs, and your beliefs determine your attitudes, and your attitudes determine your behavior, and so forth. And then I have, on the other hand here, the Humanist Manifesto is number one and two. And uh, humanism, which is like leaven in our educational system, corrupting our kids who are brainwashed and have been for the last number of years by some teachers who do admit that they are uh, change agents. And they've learnt the art of weaving humanistic philosophy through their various classes and gradually brainwashing our kids because, you see, we say, oh, why do our kids behave like this? Their behaviour is rotten. Their behaviour is terrible. I know why their behaviour is like that. Because they have rotten attitudes. And what shape their attitudes? Their beliefs. And who shaped their beliefs? Philosophy. And then I have, on the other hand here, I bought the Quran the other day, the other month. And I was just glancing through it, and so just flipping through, I came to this. Abraham was neither a Jew nor a Christian, but he was sound in the faith he was a Muslim. And then I flipped over just to another page that uh, says, The Messiah is a son of God, such the sayings in their mouths. They resemble the saying of the infidels of old, God do battle with them, how they are misguided. And goes on to say that anybody has any other gods but Allah, then death to the infidels. Now, how many would admit that the terrorists today, they have been brainwashed with a philosophy? And the philosophy is that if you commit suicide in the cause, then you go straight to heaven. You'll have 32 wives, virgins. Oh, I think it's gone up now, 72. <laughs> because you see, the philosophy is shaping their beliefs. And their beliefs are shaping their attitudes, and their attitudes are determining their behavior. Behavior is fixing their character. And I just wish God would do this. I've asked him to, but he hasn't taken one notice of me. I just wish God would send one of them back from eternity and, and, and have them testify. It's a pack of lies. There's no virgins there. You go straight to hell. And the only virgins in hell are foolish virgins. Oh, oh. <laughs> Uh, is this all right tonight? I mean, you know, I'm supposed to be teaching lessons I've learnt, see? But I... No, no, no. Uh, that calls for a drink of water, doesn't it? Anyway, you get the point. And one of the most subtle things that's just come out recently is we believe in Jesus. And this is put, uh, put out by these particular people. And as you go through, how many of us would know and discern this. So I open it up. You can get this free. The Virgin Mary. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He's the son of Mary, but not the son of God, because God doesn't have a son, otherwise there'd be more God than one. The miraculous birth of Jesus. Jesus, son of Mary. The mission of Jesus. And how, when it came to the death of Jesus, uh, he was not crucified. They grabbed somebody else who looked like him and crucified him instead. But Jesus was raised up to heaven, and he promised that uh, before he went to heaven, he would send the comforter, and I don't want to take the valuable time to read this, the comforter was Muhammad, who would lead you into all the truth that Jesus did not complete when he said to the disciples, got many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. But when the comforter, Muhammad, comes, he will guide you into all truth, and he is the final revelation. And shocking to say this, and maybe I shouldn't either, I'm on a tangent at the moment, and the students used to say, Kevin, we like your tangents better than your teaching. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you would be surprised how many Christians are giving up the faith in Jesus Christ, Christianity alone, and are becoming Muslims because they say we can still believe in Jesus because he is one of the prophets. He is a son of God like we're all sons of God. Now, why do I say all that? Because you see, your philosophy 
determines your beliefs. Hear what I'm saying here? So I have uh, another book here that has determined my beliefs. And it's King James. <laughs> KJV, they say no difference between KJV and KJC. Okay? And you That's all right. I'm making up for the heavy session I gave you last week. Okay. All right. This is God's philosophy. And see, this has shaped my beliefs. I believe without holiness, no man shall see God. I believe character is going to take us into eternity. And where we leave off on, on late planet Earth, we carry it into eternity. So that's determined my beliefs. This has not only determined, determined my beliefs, it's determined my attitudes. And I dealt a whole night on that, on developing a Joseph attitude. And it's determined my behavior. And hopefully it's determined my character. And I know it determines my eternal destiny because this is divine wisdom, divine philosophy. How many can say amen to that? All right, so that's why I'm saying how important your philosophy, the things you believe are, because it shapes your belief. Now, let me just give you a couple of other things here. So, uh, yeah, say, for instance, when I was in uh, Bible Temple a number of years ago, I finished preaching and a couple of uh, ladies come up to me and said, Oh, Brother Connor, uh, do you, what do you think about abortion? And before I had a chance to say, well, it's legalized murder, they said, Well, don't you believe that aborted children go to heaven? Which I personally do. And uh, so forth. I said, oh, well, the more children we abort, the more we'll have children in heaven. And then they went on with another question. Can we ask you another question? What do you think about marriage? It's only a bit of paper, you know. Uh, but if people love each other and they just jump into bed and uh, love each other, what's marriage? It's a bit of paper. That's nothing. I said, well, I said, that's adultery. Well, they said, we don't believe that. We're spirit-filled. And they were like Noah's raven. They only came twice to the meeting, never seen him since. First and last time, you know. Yeah. So, you see, but you see, well, we believe it. Okay? So where did they get that from? Brainwashed with the world's philosophy that's sneaking into the church all the time like leaven instead of being brainwashed with this. That's what we're talking about. How many can say amen? A couple of other illustrations here. I remember a girl uh, was in Waverley a number of years ago. I don't know where she is now. Uh, she was into fornication quite a lot, and so she went to a counsellor in Monash, and uh, she was ready to commit suicide, just loaded with guilt. And so the humanist counsellor said to her, look, all this stuff about conscience and feeling guilt, do you go to church somewhere? somewhere? Yeah, way the Christian fellowship. You have been brainwashed with their stuff about guilt and that. The way you get rid of all these bad feelings is just keep doing it. Because it's only something that's been uh, you know, pr uh, primed into you. Anyway, I said, okay, when she came to me for counsel, I said, okay, here's the humanist manifesto and your counselor there. Here's his way of handling guilt. Here's God's way of handling guilt. This is driving you to suicide. God's way is repent of your sin, ask Jesus to cleanse you in his blood, stop sinning, and then you'll get clear of a guilty conscience. How many like God's philosophy? Another one illustration, then I'll have to move on. Some people, I don't know who he is here, but you know, over my years, lessons I've learned, uh, they're very strong on eternal security. And so when I was pastoring a church in Bendigo, this guy was very strong on security, once in grace, always in grace, even if I live in disgrace. And he used to lie, and uh, he, he, was, he belonged to Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. He was a car dealer. <laughs> oh, no reflection on car dealers here, okay? Just, yeah, just lift that off you, okay? And uh, when I faced him on this thing about lying and that, he said, oh, he said, I'm not trusting my righteousness. God accepts me in the righteousness of Christ. Now, how would you handle that? And I said, but you can't do that. I said, you can't abuse the grace of God. Greasy grace, you'll slide into hell. He said, oh, look, anything I do, it doesn't matter what I do, because the blood covers that. I said, just hang on a minute. You cannot use the blood as an excuse for sin. And I said, listen to this scripture. If we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from sin. What's the opposite of that? If we do not walk in the light, it breaks fellowship and the blood is rendered inoperative. You see, it's well worth putting down this statement. The blood only works in the light. The blood only works in the light. So when I hear Pentecostals and others on, on extreme grace and security, oh, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. Hey, 
The blood only works in the light. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the blood is continually cleansing me from sin. Darkness negates the power of the blood in your life. And you can Pentecostal plead the blood all your life. It just doesn't work. I'm sorry. That's what the Bible teaches. Thank you, Kevin, for that very, very, very good point. All right, I could give you many more illustrations, but you've got the point. Okay, now, so how many, how many feel comfortable what I said? that There's a lot in there. So whatever a person's philosophy is, it determines beliefs. Well, what do you believe about this? What do you believe about abortion? What do you believe about alternative lifestyle? What do you believe about this? Okay, this is what shaped my, my, my beliefs. And this has determined my beliefs and my attitudes, my behavior, and hopefully I believe my character and my eternal destiny. How many, how many get the point of what I'm saying here? I believe there's a very important thing uh, because our kids and this generation's brainwashed with this philosophy that's out here. I want to see them brainwashed with the word of God. Okay, let's move on now to a new page. <laughs> All right. Okay, I want to pick up another illustration because in the New Testament you find that the, uh, the New Testament writers, they sort of use, um, you know, two different pictures about, uh, uh, about the church. Like the church is likened to God's planting. Paul says you're God's vineyard, you're God's planting. And then uh, he also says the church is like to God's building, you are God's building. So the first thing I've looked at, say, in relation to this, and we're finished with that uh, now, um, you know, so building blocks for, for my life, building blocks for your life, building blocks for your family's life. And I'd like to encourage mums and dads, you know, take this statement down, think upon it and say, what are your kids being brainwashed with? From the television, the television or media, music, uh, literature, whatever. What's shaping their attitudes? What's shaping their behavior? It goes back to the root. And that's the philosophy that they're absorbing and coming to believe. So that's it. I mean, when Mark was young and everything like that, and he didn't like, you know, I'd say, well, take out the rubbish bin. Well, why should I? Well, I didn't tell him not because I didn't want to do it, but just because I said. <laughs> now he's doing it to his own kids, you know. Yeah, okay. So uh, he said, well, everybody else doesn't have to make their bed. I said, I don't care if all the kids in the street chop their head off. You're my son. While you're under my roof, you do what Papa Father says. That's it. You know? No, he's doing the same. So, yeah. <laughs> And I don't think he's any worse for the persecution I gave him, do you? All right, now, I want to move to this uh, next page here as time uh, moves on. How many feel that helped you on that whole proposition there, building character? I, I, it's a life message. I wish we could do it instantly, lay, uh, lay hands on you and impart the gift of character. It would be wonderful. But this is a life message. And I've got 55 years behind me now and 76 to add the other parts before being born again. All right, so under letter A, the roots of character building. How is a person's character built? Uh, built? How does a person's character grow and develop? How is one's character formed? What are some hidden roots of character? So I put a number of scriptures there. So what I'd like to do here is just put down, it's, it's on your notes there and all the scriptures are there that I'm going to talk about except maybe one. I'd like you to put it down this way. I want you to look at, first of all, the tree. So I'm going to use the, uh, uh, the figure of speech of the tree now. And then number two, the fruit. Because as we looked at last week, Jesus said, by their fruits you'll know them, not by their gifts. And we want the gifts of the Spirit, but not at the expense of character. And then number three, uh, the, the, the hidden roots. So... Uh, you know, people have asked me over the years, okay, Kevin, what do you feel the Lord has helped you, you know, in your life? I want to talk about hidden roots, okay? So the tree, the fruits. Oh, glory to God. Great falling away. <laughs> I enjoyed the trip anyway. So. Okay, so uh, I want to give you some scriptures. All right, so if you want to break this uh, or follow this outline, all the scriptures I'm giving you are here. Okay, number one, we're looking at the tree. A tree in scripture is often used in a symbolic sense. I want to give you two illustrations of that. So I'll just try and take this gentle here. The tree, uh, trees in scripture are often used in symbolic sense. All right. Uh, I've got under asterisks here. A tree is symbolic of a kingdom. So a tree often used to symbolize a kingdom. 
Matthew 13, I'll just give you chapters here, Matthew 13. Uh, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like to a mustard seed, which was when it was planted in the field, it just grew and became the greatest of trees and the birds of the air came and lodged in its branches. So kingdom of heaven, uh, like a tree. Daniel chapter 4. Just a chapter. Nebuchadnezzar, when he went insane, he was given this vision or dream of a tree and how the angels come down from heaven and chop the tree down and just left a, a band around its trunk. And after seven times insanity, see, pride brings intellectual insanity, uh, but symbolizing the kingdom of Babylon and the king himself. All right, and then uh, secondly here, I've got trees also symbolize a person. Trees also symbolize a person. And uh, a couple of other scriptures you might like to put on this one. Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. Blesses the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, uh, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scorn for you. will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. So Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3. Uh, Jeremiah 17, verse 8. 17 verse 8, Jeremiah 17 verse 8, pretty well the same thing. In fact, Jeremiah 17 is like uh, 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 Psalm 1 and says the same thing. Uh, the roots will be by the water and bring forth fruit. And then uh, one other scripture you might like down there, Psalm 92 and verses 12 to 14. Those that be planted, Psalm 92, verse 12 to 14, those that be planted in the house of the Lord, they shall be like a cedar of Lebanon, they shall be fat and flourishing, and they will bring forth fruit in old age. Thank you, Father. All right, so tree symbolizes a kingdom, tree symbolizes a person. All right, now number two here, what do we mean by the fruit? And you've got some scriptures here, by the fruit. All right, I've already given you Psalm 1, but I'm going to quote it because I've written it out. Uh, Blessed is the man that uh, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly and so forth. He's like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. And then the one I've given you from Jeremiah, he shall be like a tree planted by the water that spreads out her roots by the river and, and does not cease yielding fruit. All right, James chapter 3, you've got it on your note there, James 3.18 James speaks about the fruit of righteousness. So fruit of righteousness, whether we say the fruit of righteousness, fruit of holiness of life, uh, holy living, righteousness, fruit of righteousness. And then Galatians 5, which you've got on your notes there, verse 22 to 23. So Galatians 5, 22 to 23. And it's very simple there. The fruit of the Spirit is... And then we have the nine fruits of the Spirit, or nine fruit, it's in the singular, but love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, uh, meekness, and so forth. So the fruit of the Spirit. So, uh, yeah, the, the fruits. So by their fruits, you know them. Now, I've said this last week, but just repeat it again. The fruit on the tree is the outward manifestation of the inner life, nature, and character of the tree. So let me say that sentence again, that sort of encapsulates what I'm saying. So when we look at a tree, we judge the tree by its fruit. So the fruit on the tree is the outward manifestation of the inner life, nature, and character of the tree. So we judge the tree by its fruit. So one more time here. The fruit on the tree is the outward manifestation of the inner life, nature, and character of a tree. The tree is known by its fruit. So an apple tree produces apples, an orange tree produces orange, fig tree, apricot, all trees, uh, it's by the fruit, by their fruits you know them. Okay, so the fruit on the tree is the outward manifestation of the inner life, nature and character of the tree. So that's, that's what we're saying on the fruit. So we're talking about the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of a man's life, and the, the fruit of the Spirit, which is the nature of the Holy Spirit in us. All right, so by their fruit, you will know them. All right, now, let's go to number three. All right, so the, the, the tree itself is visible, and the fruits are visible, but the hidden roots are invisible. The tree and the fruits are seen by man, but only the hidden roots are seen by God. That's what we're talking about here. So I'd, I've given you some scriptures here, 
And I'll add some more. No, let's see, just make, make the connection here. Yes, uh, Proverbs 12 and verse 3 and 12. You've got it there. I've written it out just because of time's sake. It says, the root of the righteous shall not be moved. Now, how many know that looking at any tree, the root system is so important? What's the root system? We get, you know, plants, they get root bound, everything like that, when they're planted in, in a pot. So they get root bound and something happens, the, the, the tree dies and so forth. The root, the root system. So Proverbs 12.3, the root of the righteous shall not be moved. Uh, Proverbs 12.12, 12, it's on your notes there, I'll tell you if it's not. The root of the righteous yields fruit. So root and fruit, root and fruit. And then Jesus, in telling the parable, Matthew 13 and verse 6 and verse 21, that's on your note there. <clears throat> uh, Jesus talks about the parable of the sow and the seed. And some seed fell on good ground, some on stony ground, some on uh, thorny ground. And he said, because they had no root, they wither away. Now, I know, I know we all feel this concern, but when people respond to Christ and respond to an older call here in way we, uh, uh, you know, from time to time, what's our concern is that the seed doesn't fall on stony ground, where it doesn't take root. Say, so, well, where do they go? We get some, lose some. What happens? Because they hear the word, they enjoy it, they enjoy the meeting, but there's something wrong in the root system. It doesn't take root. And that's what we're talking about, okay? Because they had no root, they wither away. Uh, and then um, another one which I've given you there, yet he has no root in himself, and he endures for a while, but when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended, scandal, scandalizo, stumbled, tripped up. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the same thing everywhere. Uh, I know in... in um, in uh, Portland, Oregon, with my, my son-in-law, Frank, they put on uh, Heaven's Gates, Heaven's Flames, Hell's Gates? No, uh, which way? Uh, yeah, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came to the Lord in the emotion of the moment. But in a few months' time, where were they? Okay. Because they received the word of joy and, oh yeah, we enjoyed the show, but did, there was no root See, it was the root system. So, the, the, the seed of the word, no root in themselves. Now, I want you to look at uh, uh, this scripture with me. Uh, I haven't asked you to look at too many scriptures because I want you to get this fill in here. Okay, go over to uh, Isaiah chapter 37. Isaiah 37, and this one is not on your notes. Yes, it is. Isaiah 37, sorry, it is. Everybody doing okay? I feel a bit better tonight. <laughs> How many would like to be in my place and have to talk about some of these heavy things? I don't really enjoy it, but I have to. All right, Isaiah chapter 37, and if you haven't marked this verse in your Bible, it's well worth marking. It's, it's also in 2 Kings, which is on your notes there. And it says in Isaiah 37 verse 31, reading from the old authorized and the remnant that escaped of the house of Judah shall again take root downward. Everybody say root downward. They shall take root downward and bear fruit upward. Let's all say that. Bear fruit upward. See, so taking root downward and bearing fruit upward. I think the um, oh, the translations might say taking, taking root below, bearing fruit above. But it's the root and the fruit thing. Bad root. Bad fruit. Uh, weak root system, bad, bad fruit system. It affects. All right, now, let me go through. So, I've, I've tried to be uh, open with you over these sessions together. But if you said, Kevin, over 55 years have got behind me now since I was a Christian and uh, in ministry and so forth, what would be the hidden roots in your life that uh, only God sees? You don't see it. Uh, my wife doesn't see it because she's sleeping often at that hour of the morning, uh, but say, okay, you, you only see me on the platform and everything like that, but uh, what am I really on the inside? So when I was preparing for this uh, uh, some time back and people said, Kevin, what, what really? So I just began to examine my own heart and think, okay, what has been my root system 
over 55 years now, and God in his grace has helped me, and I try to walk carefully before the Lord. So I want to give you seven secret roots of my life. Very simple, nothing profound, but just that's my root system. And you don't see it, only God sees it, and sometimes my wife a little bit. <laughs> okay, number one, the tap root. What would be the tap root of 55 years now? The, the, uh, actually, the tap root is actually the main root of any plant or tree. And, and, and the more the tap root goes down, the stronger the tree is that can stand the winds and the storms. So what would be the tap root in my life and looking at my own life? Say, well, Lord, you know, as I look back over the years, you know, what's, what's really on the inside of me? I'm not perfect. Everybody said, hallelujah. <laughs> uh, but the tap root. Okay, here it is. Number one, the tap root of my life has been my personal relationship with the Lord. I put another word there. My personal love relationship with the Lord. And it all began, as I told you on the first night, when I was born again and eventually came to see that God was going to help me start a new generation, but a love relationship with the Lord. And over, over the years, you know, and we have to be as patient with other people as God has with us, and uh, over the years, I think my tap root has just gone down. I love the Lord more tonight than I did when I first got saved. And I love him now, not for what he's done for me only, but just for who he is. Put down one scripture with that. Mark chapter 12, verse 29 to 30. Mark chapter 12, verse 29 to 30. And I like Mark's rendition of this commandment. Uh, Jesus says, The first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, Spiritually, I'm saying these extra words now. Love the Lord your God with all your heart spiritually, all your soul emotionally, all your mind intelligently, and all your strength physically. This is the first and great commandment. So let me say that one more time. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. So spiritually, emotionally, intelligently, physically. Just my whole being. This is the first commandment. This is the tap root. And the tap root, as I said, is the main root of any plant or tree. And so when I think of what the Lord's done for me over all these years, I just, I just thank him. So I do love you, Lord. I do love you. And so I believe, and I'm sure you can all say that along with me, that as you serve the Lord day by day, the tap root of love and your love relationship with the Lord just grows deeper and goes down deeper. How many can say amen to that? So this is for all of us. So, okay, that's, and you don't see that. Nobody sees that. The Lord does. And I just tell you, yes, Lord, I do love you. Not just for what you've done, but who you are. Number two, the root of the word. And I think you all at least know that part, the importance of the word of God in my life. Reading the word, meditating on the word, studying the word. A man shall not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And you see, as I said before, this is heaven's philosophy. You know I'm brainwashed with the word. I, I'm, I'm always frightened that if I had to go to hospital and the doctors cut me open, a verse of scripture would pop out of every cell in my body. <laughs> they might get saved in self-defense and say, this guy, he's a walking Bible. <laughs> Uh, why don't you put this good old saying down because it's helped me over the years. This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. That's a good old simple saying but it's helped me over the years. This book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. So my passion, my love for the word of God, I brainwashed myself with the word because it saved me a lot of things. But it's a hidden root. You don't see it. God sees it. Sometimes students say, Kevin, where'd you get all this? Oh, it just dropped out of heaven. <laughs> no, it didn't. Because thousands of hours studying the word and brainwashing myself. All right, number, number three, quickly. Number three, the root of prayer. Consistent prayer life. Prayerlessness is powerlessness. And so over the years, no boasting on my part, but I'm just exposing some hidden roots in my life. Consistent prayer life, I, I've done it for about 50 years. I still get up about 6, 6.30. This morning I backslid and slept until quarter past 7. 
Because I said, God, I'm tired. <laughs> uh, but just consistent prayer life. Done it for years and years and years. Not up and down, yo-yo, as I used to be, but prayer. All right, number four. Uh, number four, is that right? Yes, number four. The root of the Holy Spirit. And by that I mean drawing on the life source of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. Life in the Spirit. Jesus depended upon the Holy Spirit. So we need to depend upon the Holy Spirit. You see, uh, uh, from the roots there comes this sap. Nobody sees the sap. But the sap that is drawn into the branches, into the tree, into the fruit, is that secret sap. It's It's the life of the Holy Spirit. Building yourself up in the Spirit. So speaking in tongues, keep them filled with the Spirit. All right, number five. More could be said, but our time is going. Okay, number five, the root of obedience. Put down Acts chapter 5, verse 32. Acts 5, verse 32. He gives the Holy Spirit to them that obey him. So the root of obedience, and then one statement I got from Andrew Murray that's helped me over the years. Uh, Andrew Murray says that Christ came to restore us back to the obedience from which Adam fell. That is such a good statement. So Christ came to restore us back to the obedience from which Adam fell, because that's where it all happened. Adam messed us up. He disobeyed the word of the Lord, messed up our character, sin entered us. He messed the whole business up. And I'm really going to talk to him about that. I will have a good attitude when I see him. <laughs> but the root of obedience. So Christ came to restore us back to the obedience from which Adam fell. Nobody sees that. People just see me on the platform or teaching seminars, but they don't see the hidden roots, the secret God does. And, and because of that, you know, yeah, I, yeah. Okay, number six, where are we up to? Number six, the root of faith. The root of faith, trust, trusting God regardless of all the things you go through. And this is so for all of us, so trusting God, trusting God in the dark, trusting God. And uh, that's it, drawing on the source of faith. Not depending on yourself, but you just trust God. And I've learned that over the years. Lord, live or die, come hell or high water, I still trust you. I don't understand lots of things. Why, why, why? But I still trust you. Faith. And then number seven, I thought this would be enough here. Uh, inner holiness. And by that I mean holiness of heart, mind, spirit and thought. And I'm a human being like all of you. I have my temptation. I've had them over the years. As you get older, they just change. <laughs> when you're younger and full of energy, you get different types of temptation. In fact, what I've, I'll say this real quickly. What I've found that some of my temptations have moved from the body. When I was a young man and temptations that you know, I was tempted with, as all of us are. Then they moved to soul. The most subtle temptations are temptations that come to your spirit. Put down this one scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 1. 7, 1. So 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. And Paul says, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the, in the fear of God. So I've asked the Lord, help me to be clean on the inside. Help me to guard my thoughts, guard my eyes, pornography, a thousand one things that appeal to the law of sin that's in all of us, not yet eradicated. Discipline. So I've asked the Lord. And as I said, I'm not perfect, but I've asked the Lord and asked me, help me, Lord, to be holy in thought, my mind, my spirit, uh, television. Sometimes my wife, off with that. I don't want to see it. Full stop. That's out of hell. All right, let's finish. B, lessons I've learned. Summing up now from last week and this week. Number one, I have learned that gifts of the spirit are no evidence of holiness. And we've seen that in Corinth. The Corinthian church had all the gifts. Samson, Spirit of the Lord, come upon him. Denominations, what's going on in the world today. Number two, I've learned that. People may ruin your reputation, but only sin can destroy your character. Number three, I have learned that. Character is not a gift. I wish it was. I, I wish the moment people got saved, we could just say, I impart to you the gift of character. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Another alternative is when you baptize them, hold them under long enough. <laughs> then they wake up in heaven, you have no backsliders. It's just, it's just tremendous. Okay, character is not a gift, but character has to be built into us. It's a life message. What I've shared with you last week, in this, it's a life message. It's not an instantaneous, instant coffee, instant tea, instant fix. I wish it was. Four, I've learned that 
It is by growing in Christ-like character that one can truly handle charisma. And we think of Joseph and Daniel, character and charisma, gifts both those young men had. Five, I've learned that character, what you are, is more important than charisma, what you may do or what gifts you may have. Six, I have learned that uh, we take character into eternity while charisma is only needed in time. See, we only need the gifts of the Spirit while we're here. You're not going to need gifts of healing, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, miracles. You won't need any of it up in heaven. Only for time. But character, you're stuck with that. What we put on the previous notes. So, what was that one? Yes, on on your previous sheet last week. So a thought, you reap an act. So an act, you reap a habit. So a habit, you reap a character. So a character, you reap a destiny. And then number seven, finally, I have learned that without holiness of character, no one will see the Lord. So conclusion application for all of us. Each believer needs to make a decision. Settle for holiness of character first. Then one may truly handle any charisma or grace gifts that the Lord may give to be used for his glory. Remember, character is for eternity. Charisma is needed only for time. Everybody said amen. Amen. Wow. Now, next week, I want to uh, go on a different street and uh, probably maybe revolutionary. Uh, something for me, anyway, the, the most important lesson I've learned about faith and presumption. I want to talk to you about that next week. Let's all stand. Let's lift our hands to Lord Jesus. Father, we just, uh, we just bow humbly in our spirit before your throne and thank you, Lord, for your grace in all of our lives. When we see what's happening in the world today, Father, we believe that you want a holy church, a holy bride for your son. A a glorious church without spot or wrinkle that will be holy and without blemish and will be a suitable bride to be joined to your son in the marriage of uh, of the Lamb. God, we just pray that you'll take the things we've shared tonight. May they fall upon good ground of our heart and may we have eternal value continually in mind. Lord, we thank you for your divine philosophy. We thank you for your word, Lord, and that that's shaping our beliefs and our attitudes and our be- determining our behavior and our character and our destiny. Father, help us to take this uh, not only for ourselves, but help us to help others. Bless us throughout this week. May we truly be light in the midst of a darkened world. May we truly be salt in the midst of a corrupted and corrupting society. We ask in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you did not get the sheet from last week, there's still a few down on the little platform here. God bless you. Thank you for being such a good bunch. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.